back en route, they bypass Rome, an Islamic holy city, and on March 28, arrived at the fortress of Kenaurgird, only 28 miles from Tehran. Here, the Antichrist of the Babi dispensation, Haji Mirza Aghasi, the Prime Minister intervened and sent an order for their transfer to the village of Kolain, which was his property. He told them to raise his own tent for the Bab. It was a delightful spot, particularly at that time of the year, with orchards and streams. Days passed without any instruction from Tehran. A few believers joined the Bab there. Two believers came from Tehran. One had a letter and presents from Baha'u'llah for the Bab, which brought great joy to him. One night an unusual incident occurred. A believer recounts that he woke up with the sound of running of horses. It was sometime after midnight. Soon everyone was informed that the Bab's tent was vacant. Muhammad Beg, the chief, was heard to scold his men about their worry regarding his possible escape. They all began to go on the road towards Tehran, some on foot and the guards on horseback, when by the dim light of the dawn they saw the distant figure of the Bob walking towards them. He told the guards, Did you believe I had escaped? Muhammad Beg flung himself on the Bob's feet and said, Far be it from me. No one knows what transpired that night. The change in the Bob, the serene majesty of his radiant face, the power of his words, and a remarkable change in his speech left a question in everyone's mind, but no one dared to question him. Could it have been a spiritual rendezvous with Baha'u'llah? Abdul Baha states that the two never met physically. Nearly three weeks had passed since their arrival when the Bab wrote to Muhammad Shah asking for a meeting. But the wicked Prime Minister had it all planned. He had unusual persuasive power over the king. Being so afraid of losing his own position should the meeting take place, he made the king answer the Bab in the following terms. Since we are at the verge of departure from Tehran, a befitting meeting is not possible. You go to Maku and rest there for a while and pray for our prosperity. We will summon you upon our return. This was in April of 1847, about three years since the Bob's declaration. Mirza Aghasi was not alone when he made this evil move. The depraved and mad governor of Shiraz who witnessed the conquest of Sayyid Yahya by the Bab and the outbreak of cholera preventing him from killing the Bab had a lot to say about the powers of the Bab. The Bab was permitted to take two of his followers with him. He chose two brothers from Yazd, one of whom was a letter of the living Sayyid Hussein, who became his scribe. 
the other, Sayyid Hassan, became the attendant. On the road north, one stopping place was a village close to Ghazvin, the birthplace of Tahereh, the only woman in the eighteen letters of the living. In his one-night stay there, he wrote a letter to the Prime Minister and the Divines. Mullah Eskandar, the trusted attendant of audacious Hujjat, visited the Bab there and was given a letter to be delivered to a fervent supporter of Sayyid Kazem, who was residing in Zanjan. In it, the Bab stated his own station and told him to rise and deliver him from the hands of the oppressor. That man received the letter, but did not heed it. At that time, Hujat was in Tehran under surveillance. The moment he received information about the content of the letter, he sent a message to Zanjan for the Babis to march and rescue the Bab. A sizable number of Babis from Zanjan and Ghazvin reached the Bab's stopping place and when the guards were asleep, they informed the Bab about their intention, but the Bab told them that he would not run away, and stated, The mountains of Azerbaijan too have their claims. Before the end of his assignment, the chief of guard, Muhammad Beg, became a believer in the Bab, and later his son became a Baha'i. Grief-stricken, he apologized and begged for forgiveness for any shortcoming in his care during their travels. As they were leaving the last stop in Milan, a small village before Tabriz, an incident happened quite worthy of mentioning. An old woman brought a child whose head was covered with scabs. She was trying to get to the bob, but the guard prevented her when the Bob told them not to interfere. She came close and begged him to heal the child. The Bob opened a handkerchief, laid it on the child's head, and repeated certain words. When the handkerchief was removed, the child's head was healed. In that place, two hundred people became sincere believers. The Bob did it as a mercy to the child and not as a miracle. Baha'u'llah states that claiming miracles as a proof to a manifestation of God degrades his station. Another time, as the journey to Tabriz was coming to an end, possibly to show some humor, the Bob galloped his scrawny horse so fast that the guards with much stronger horses could not catch up with him. They were overtaken with apprehension that at this stage of the travel he might escape. Then he stopped the horse, and when they reached him, with a smile he told them, if he wished to escape, no one could stop him. His entry into Tabriz was something to behold. The streets were crowded among this mass, were number of his followers who were seeing him for the first time. The cry of Allahu Akbar, God is the greatest, echoed throughout the city, which alarmed the officials. Soon criers warned the people against attempting to see him. He was kept there strictly secluded for forty days. 
Another page is turned to a new chapter of his captivity. The Prime Minister had it all well planned. The fortress of Marku to which he was transferred was the choicest prison as far as the Prime Minister was concerned. It was as hot in summer as it was cold in winter. It was on the side of the mountain with a massive rock overhanging so one could not see the sky above. That is where the name Marku comes from. Mah means moon and Ku means where. Together means where is the moon. There could not have been anywhere else in Iran less friendly. The town at the foot of the mountain was the prime minister's birthplace, so its inhabitants were quite devoted to him and did their best to please him. Add to this another factor. They were of the Sunni sect of Islam, a minority in Iran. They had animosity toward the Shia sect, particularly those who were the descendants of the imams which the Bab was. Because they do not believe in imams as true successors to Muhammad. To complete the package, Ali Khan, who was a Kurd, was the warden of the prison, very rough and arrogant. Surely, with all of these factors, plus its remote location, the Bob's isolation would be total and out of sight, out of mind. Well, he was dead wrong. Let the curtain rise to another captivating act in this drama. This is another theater. The Guardian calls Azerbaijan province the theater of agony and martyrdom. When you see the size of that fortress in the picture, you cannot believe that its occupants, as stated by the Bob, were only two guards and four dogs. His solitary room did not have a door, neither was there a lighted lamp after dark. To tell you about winter, it is enough to know that when he did ablution before saying his prayers, water froze on his blessed face. What you are about to hear is one act of many in that fortress. It happened two weeks after his arrival. The warden was so mean and tough that he would not permit any followers of the Bob to stay in town even for one night. They slept in a mosque outside the town. When the heavenly soul Sheikh Hassan Zanuzi arrived, he was treated like the rest of the followers. The attendant of the Bob who daily would go to town to purchase provisions secretly took letters from Sheikh Hassan to the Bob. One day the Bob sent a message that these secret contacts were to end and promised that he, meaning the Bob, will instruct Ali Khan, the warden, to permit visitors to come and go as they wish. They were quite astonished knowing the attitude and character of Ali Khan. The Bob's attendant recounts that the next morning at dawn they were awakened by loud pounding on the castle door 
with Ali Khan shouting to the guard to open the door. Soon to our surprise, one guard came and requested that the warden wished to see the bulb. The warden was visibly shaking. He threw himself at the feet of the bulb and begged to be relieved of his misery. What had made the unbendable tyrant so miserable? It was the experience he just had. He told the bulb, This morning, as I was riding my horse outside the town, all of a sudden I saw you standing by a river with your arms outstretched deep in prayer. I stood still, waiting for you to finish your prayer to scold you for leaving the fortress without my permission. Then I quietly approached you, but you were unaware of me. I was suddenly seized with fear about interrupting your prayer, so I decided to come to the fortress to scold the guards for their disobedience and neglect. I found out that both doors were locked, and you are here. Maybe I have lost my mind. The Bob told him, What you have witnessed is true. You belittled this cause and its author. God, through his mercy, has revealed this to you, so to save you from punishment by recognizing the power of his cause. All the arrogance vanished at once. A humble Ali Khan was recreated. The first words he said were, A poor man is yearning to attain your presence. He lives in a mosque outside the town. I beg to be allowed to bring him to your presence. So, Sheikh Hassan, as foretold by the Bab, was brought to his presence by no one else except Ali Khan. And the gates opened for all believers, including Mullah Hussein, who came on foot traveling hundreds of miles and celebrated Nowruz of 1848 in the presence of his Lord. The revelation of the mother book, the Persian Bayan, began in that fortress and was completed in the early part of his captivity in the fortress of Jehrir. As he revealed it, according to one believer, his chanting echoed on the mountainside. What an enchantment for the hostile inhabitants of the town of Maku, who now showed utmost reverence towards the Bab. Their mourning began by gazing towards the fortress and receiving the Bab's blessing. Presently, there is a copy of the Persian Bayan in the handwriting of his scribe, the letter of the living Sayyid Husseini Yazdi, at the Baha'i International Archives in Haifa, Israel. Ali Khan's devotion was such that he begged the Bab to honor him by marrying his daughter, whom he had refused to give in marriage to the crown prince. He even went to the extent of asking Mullah Hussein during his visit to intercede on his behalf, but of no avail. As if Ali Khan's devotion and the town people's reverence towards the Bab regularly reported by the agents to the prime minister was not enough to boil him with rage, the ultimatum of the Russian minister in Tehran topped it off. 
It is interesting that Prince Dolkorukov, who four years later offered asylum in Russia to Baha'u'llah upon his release from the Siachal, now showed alarm of his country about the flow of people near the border where Maku was located. The desperate Prime Minister, his plans well frustrated, chose the fortress of Chehrir in another mountain and ordered the Bab transfer. This happened shortly after Mullah Hussein's visit and nine months after the Bab's imprisonment in the fortress of Maku, which he had named Jabale Basit, or the Open Mountain. The transfer took place in April of 1848, a most memorable month for the brigadier who was in charge of this transfer. It should not surprise you that the officer became an overzealous believer in the Bab. Now you can realize how the history was written, high and low, from learned clergy to the ruthless wardens and guards were all captivated by the Bab, embraced his cause, and first-hand related the accounts of the period when the Bab was near them. As in this theater of captivity and agony, the stage of martyrdom gets closer, the beat of the drums get faster and louder. What a moving history! Who could do justice to it? I feel unworthy and incapable of relating such immense happenings to you. Shall we turn the page to another chapter? Don't even think of feeling sad for the Bob. He knew the whole thing before they occurred. He begged God to be accepted as a sacrifice in the path of Baha'u'llah. The suffering was only for his human side when he experienced his agonies. His spirit transcended them all. Now he is handed over to Yahya Khan Accord, the warden of the fortress of Chehrir. Chehrir was called by him Jabale Shadid, or the Grievous Mountain. The warden was a Kurdish chieftain whose sister was married to the king. He was harsh and unpredictable. His loyalty was not in question, being an in-law to the king. Soon he was captivated by the same power that made Ali Khan spellbound. So many Babis came to the fortress that it was impossible to house them in nearby town and they had to have their accommodation in another town. The next three scenes are part of the act which boggles the mind and drove the prime minister out of his mind. There is a town not too far from Chehrir called Hoy. Not too long after the Bob's incarceration in Chehrir, a number of prominent citizens of Hoy, from divines to officials, became Babis. Mirza Asadullah was a proud man high in the government. He had a vast knowledge and a fluent pen as well as mastery of five languages, which was unusual in that area. He was quite hostile and loud when the Babis attempted to convert him. 
Then he had a dream, which induced him to write to the Bab, but before he wrote the letter, he concentrated on two verses from the Qur'an and wrote to the Bab that he had certain things in his mind and if the Bab could write to him what these things were. The Bab answered in his own handwriting about his dream, what it was about, as well as the two verses from the Qur'an. The exactness and precision of the answer brought him such unshakable certitude that he refused to ride a horse to climb the steep mountain to attain the presence of the Bab. There he gave the Bab his devoted allegiance. His father was a personal friend of the Prime Minister. Such zeal and fervor of the sun alarmed him, and he wrote to the Prime Minister. The Bab gave the title of Dayan, which means the conqueror or the judge to Mirza Asadullah, and later honored him with a tablet. In another scene, a distinguished and holy-looking dervish arrived on foot from India, the eastern neighbor of Iran. Many followers of the Bab honored and revered him. He said he was a Nawab in India, like a spiritual leader. When the Bab appeared in a vision and told him to leave everything behind and come on foot to meet him in Shahrir in the mountains of Azerbaijan. The Bab gave him the title of Ghahrullah and instructed him to go back on foot to his native land. Well, this easily showed that the extent of the Bab's spiritual powers went way beyond the borders of Iran. All of the ordinary plans of the evil prime minister did not work against this extraordinary being, the Bab. You see, when the prime minister, Haji Mirza Aghasi, is called the Antichrist of the Babi dispensation, it means he really knew who the Bab was, but yet so proudly wished to show his own ascendancy. But as it was decreed, every move he made accelerated his own downfall, materially and spiritually. At this time one blow came after another to Mirza Aghasi. The health of the king, only forty-three years old, was rapidly deteriorating. And not being sure of his own standing, the prime minister decided to put an end to the Bab by official examination by the divines in the presence of the seventeen-years-old crown prince for the purpose of condemning the Bab to execution. The Bab had been in the fortress of Chehrir only three months. When an order came for his transfer to Tabriz, the provincial capital, but by all means the guard had to avoid the town of Khoi, where he had many followers. Are you ready for the third scene of this awe-inspiring act? It was decided to take him through Orumiye, a town near the lake by the same name. Here the governor received the Bob reverently, but his mischievous nature wished to pose a test to his guest. On Friday, when the Bob decided to go to the public bath, 
the governor ordered a particularly unruly horse to be brought. Everyone who heard about this plan was present to watch what they expected to be and successful struggle of the Bob to stay on the wild horse. Miraculously, the horse stood quietly for the Bob to mount and carried the Bob gently to the bath. The governor was so ashamed that he walked on foot next to the horse until the Bob asked him to return home. After the bath, people rushed to the bathhouse and took every drop of the water the Bob had used as a sacred water. The governor's house became the focal place and had never seen such a flow of people. It was there that an official artist wanted just to see the Bob, but upon seeing the Bob posing, he felt that the Bob wished for his portrait to be drawn. The only portraits of the Bob in black and white and later in watercolor is from that incident. How would you like to receive that news as the Prime Minister? It was in summer of 1848 when the Bob was brought to Tabriz for interrogation. Before leaving the fortress, he told a believer to collect all of his writings from two fortresses and give them to a believer in Tabriz for safekeeping. In this last scene of this act, you will witness a dramatic move in the history. In Tabriz, the provincial capital of Azerbaijan, and in the same summer hundreds of miles away, in a resort place near Tehran called Badasht. Yes, in that memorable year of 1848, so many things happened, which is beyond the scope of this talk. It was at the end of July when the Bob was brought to the seat of the government at a meeting of the top divines of the province in the presence of the crown prince not yet at the meeting. To intimidate the Bob, in this mock trial they had not placed a chair for the Bob, expecting him to stand while being questioned. Well, he went straight for the special chair reserved for the prince. Soon after the prince arrived, upon questioning of the presiding clergy, a public proclamation took place. The Bob declared three times, I am the Ra'em, for whom you have waited one thousand years, and you rise upon mention of his name. Soon the clergy began their foolish questions about Arabic grammar from the revealer of Qayyumul Asma containing 110 chapters, all in Arabic, and numerous other writings. Shortly after, to put an end to their abuse, the Bob got up and left without officially being dismissed. Now they had to do something about it or his ascendancy easily would be established. A sentence of death was closed, if only the physicians were to report that he was sane. This was the time that the only Westerner came in contact with the Bob. Dr. McCormick, a Christian missionary from England, 
with two Persian physicians examined the Bab. The report was such to save his life. Dr. McCormick's is the only pen portrait by a Westerner describing the Bab as a very mild and delicate-looking man, rather small in stature, and very fair for a Persian. He also mentions his melodious soft voice, which he states, struck me much. The verdict was to punish the Bob by bastinado, which the official attendant refused to do, but a clergy volunteered for it. In the process of striking his feet, one rod hit him on the face, which caused injury, and a physician had to be called. The Bob indicated his desire for Dr. McCormick to treat him for a few days. The clergy who inflicted the bastinado in the same year became paralyzed and died after enduring most excruciating pain. The same summer, under the direction of Baha'u'llah, in the conference at Badasht Tawhere, that immortal heroine declared the advent of the new day when she appeared without a veil. With leadership of Baha'u'llah, a clear separation was made from Islam. After all, the Bab's faith was an independent religion, and its holy book was just completed, abrogating all the Islamic laws. The Bab was returned to the fortress of Chehriz on the first day of August 1848. From there, he wrote Khutbah Ghahriyyeh, or the Ceremony of Wrath to the Prime Minister, which was hand-delivered to him by Hujjat. By this time, the death of Muhammad Shah was near, and the Prime Minister had fallen. Muhammad Shah died in September of 1848, and in less than a year, the despicable Haji Mirza Aghasi deposed of his position and immense wealth died in obscurity, in Iraq. The first page of the new chapter of the last two years in his life is so connected to the last page that we can recognize how these pages were written by the same author, the divine pen. When the Bab was taken to Tabriz, there was a young man called Muhammad Ali Zanuzi who wished so badly to see a glimpse of the Bab. However, the demonstration of his uncontrollable love provoked his parents to the point that they locked him in his room during the days of the Bab's examination in Tabriz. His relative, Sheikh Hassan Zanuzi, who was the one whom, as you recall, Ali Khan took to the presence of the Bab in Maku, relates the following awe-inspiring story. Following the return of the Bab to Chehrir, I went to visit my relatives in Tabriz, when I noticed such a change in Muhammad Ali. He was happy and at peace. To my inquiry about such unusual change the youth stated, One day, as I was confined in my room, I turned my heart to him and implored him to dispel my gloom. 
What tears of agony did I shed that hour! I was so overcome with emotion that I seemed to have lost consciousness. Suddenly I heard the voice of the Bob calling me. He told me to arise. He smiled as he looked into my eyes. I rushed forward and flung myself at his feet when he said, Muhammad Ali, rejoice. The hour is approaching when in this very city I shall be suspended before the eyes of the multitude and shall fall a victim of the fire of the enemy. I shall choose no one except you to share with me the cup of martyrdom. Rest assured that this promise shall be fulfilled. What a revealing page! Two years before his martyrdom, in that vision he told the youth how he would be martyred. In those two years, many events transpired. Of course, the flow of his followers was uninterrupted. The most special was his uncle Ali, to whom he had foretold their oncoming meeting as he was leaving Shiraz. The visit of the uncle who had raised him as a child brought great joy to him, but within a few months, after uncle's visit, towards June of 1849, the news of the massacre in Sheikh Tabarsi, including nine letters of the living, among them Mullah Hussein and Quddus, the first and the last, brought him unbearable sorrow. You need to know that after his visit, the uncle went to Tehran and with six other Babis were beheaded. Yes, the crown of martyrdom that the Bab had promised him. The Bab scribe states that after the Bab received the news of Sheikh Tabarsi, the grief silenced his voice and stilled his pen. For nine days he refused to meet with anyone and would not touch any food or drink. Tears rained continually from his eyes. For five months he languished. He communed in privacy of his cell, and when I tried to jot down the effusions of his sorrow as they poured forth from his wounded heart, he instructed me to destroy them. You see, this was his human side which lamented so deeply. With the death of Muhammad Shah in 1848, the crown prince took the throne as Nasruddin Shah, and his prime minister, the heavy-handed Mirza Taghi Khan, also known as Amir Nizam, really ruled the country. It was Amir Nizam who decided to execute the Baal. And not only that, but in about three years of his ruling, brutal and unspeakable atrocities happened. From the seven martyrs in Tehran to the events in Sheikh Tabarsi, Nairiz and Zanjan, which wiped out thousands of followers, including erudite Vahid and fearless Hujjah.
This curtain rises to the final act in this great drama, such as history has never witnessed. Conscious of his own end fast approaching, the Bob put all his writings, pencase, seals, and rings in a box, and through a letter of the living, sent them to Baha'u'llah. Included was a very finely written 360 derivatives of the word Baha in the shape of a pentacle. During the last few months of his captivity in that fortress, he revealed the Arabic Bayan. Now is the midsummer of 1850, to be exact the first days of July. Amir Nizam sent the order to the governor Hamza Mirza to transfer the Bab to Tabriz, which he did. Then the second order came to execute the Bab, which Hamza Mirza refused to do. You see, two years earlier, in another province, Hamza Mirza had admired Mullah Hussein and given great consideration towards him. He absolutely refused to slay an innocent descendant of the Prophet. Amir Nizam assigned his own brother, who was the messenger to the governor, to carry out the task. The Bob's green turban and sash, which indicated his lineage, were removed by the attendants, who took him on foot from the house the governor had put at his disposal to the barracks. On the way to the barracks, a barefoot youth threw himself at the feet of the Bob, beseeching him, Send me not from thee, O master. Wherever thou goest, suffer me to follow thee. The Bob replied, Muhammad Ali, arise, and rest assured that you will be with me. Tomorrow you shall witness what God has decreed. As you recall, this had been promised to him two years earlier in a vision and foretold about four years earlier when he said his farewell to Uncle Ali. That night in that room, by the square of the barracks, the Bob was joyous. His mission, in spite of opposition and tyrannies, was fully accomplished. And the next day, to the utmost desire of his heart, he would be sacrificed in the path of Baha'u'llah. He told his disciples on his last night on earth that he preferred to meet his death at the hand of a friend rather than at the hands of the enemy, which dumbfounded his disciples. Only Muhammad Ali, that youth, dared to accept the task as his companions tried to restrain him. The Bob said, This very youth who has risen to comply with my wish will together with me suffer martyrdom. Him will I choose to share with me its crown. Then he added, Verily, Muhammad Ali will be with us in paradise. What a priceless bounty. The sun hesitatingly arose that infamous day 
but by noon covered its face to the shameful crime committed by men, similar to that day on Calvary centuries before. The Bob instructed his scribe and his brother to recant their faith, to be able to relay the final events and words for posterity. The scribe Said Hossein Yazdi later was martyred during the bloodbath in Tehran in 1852, the year Baha'u'llah was put in the Siachal. As the Bob was talking to his scribe, the chief attendant came pushing the scribe aside and said he had to take the Bob for his death sentence from the clergy. The Bob told him, Not until I am finished. Even if all the armaments of the world arise against me, they would not be capable to deter me from what I have to do. The attendant ignored his admonishment and took him with the youth for their sentencing. This walk through the streets of Tabriz was in contrast to his entry to the city three years earlier. As they went from house to house, each clergy refused to see the Bob face to face and handed the death warrant signed and sealed already to the attendant. The stepfather of the youth tried to persuade him to change his mind by bringing his young boy to him, but his resolve remained unshaken. While they were taken for their death sentence, the commander of the Armenian regiment, Sam Khan, who had the assignment for the execution, ordered his regiment of 750 men to the square, but felt more and more uneasy about the task. On that July 9, 1850, close to noon, the Bob and the youth were returned to the square. Sam Khan could no longer resist the voice of his conscience. The prisoner looked kind and compassionate, and after all, he had not done any crime. So he approached the Bob and said, I am a Christian and have nothing against you. If your cause is divine, enable me to free myself from the obligation to shed your blood. To this the Bob replied, Follow your instructions. If your intention is sincere, the Almighty is surely able to relieve you from your perplexity. The square and surrounding rooftops were packed with 10,000 spectators. A nail was driven in the wall to which the Bob and his disciple were suspended with ropes. At the youth's request, his head was placed on the chest of his master to shield it. The soldiers were lined in three rows. The order was given. One row fired after another. When the smoke of the musket gun lifted, the bulb had disappeared, and Muhammad Ali was standing by the wall under the nail, smiling and unconcerned. The onlookers cried, Sayyid Bob Qaw Ipshud. That means Sayyid Bob is gone from our sight. A frantic search followed. The Bob was found in the same room he had spent his last night, 
finishing his earlier interrupted conversation with his scribe. He told the chief attendant, Now I am finished. Carry on your duty. The attendant remembered the words of the Bob earlier that day, and terror-stricken, ran away and resigned his post. Sam Khan, also stunned, removed his men from the square and refused to repeat it, even if his refusal meant the loss of his own life. Agha-Jan Khamse, a Muslim, volunteered to perform the shameful act. As his regiment lined up for firing, they tied up the Bab and the youth in the same manner on the same spot. The Bab addressed the crowd with these final words. O oh, wayward generation! Had you believed in me, every one of you would have followed the example of this youth, who stood in rank above most of you, and willingly would have sacrificed himself in my path. The day will come when you will have recognized me. That day I shall have ceased to be with you. At noon on July 9, 1850, 750 bullets united their two bodies, but the face of the Bob was untouched. The curtain falls on the final act with the gale of sandstorm darkening the day until the evening. When night fell, they dragged the bodies through the streets of Tabriz and threw them at the edge of a moat surrounding the city with guards stationed. Next morning, the Russian consul took an artist who made a drawing of the remains. Suleiman Khan, the prominent and faithful disciple who had attained the presence of the Bab in Chehrir, had come from Tehran to rescue his master, but that was not to be. Knowing the mayor of Tabriz, through his help, the bodies were rescued under the eyes of the guards and taken by Suleiman Khan to a silk factory of a Babi in Milan. They were enshrouded and hidden under bales of silk and next day placed in a wooden casket and carried away to safety. As soon as the news of rescue reached Baha'u'llah, he assigned Suleiman Khan to move them to Tehran. Shiraz, the city of his birth and where he declared himself but treated him so harshly, experienced that same year an earthquake aggravated by cholera and famine. Mirza Taghi Khan Amir Nizam and his brother met their death within two years by the order of the young king. Of the firing squad who slayed the Bab, 250 with their officers died the same year in an earthquake. The rest of the 500 as punishment for mutiny were shot twice by a firing squad with their bodies pierced with lances and spears. For the years after his martyrdom, Baha'u'llah standing by a cluster of cypress trees on Mount Carmel, 
pointed to Abdul Baha where the holy dust should be laid to rest. Abdul Baha built the shrine on that spot. After fifty lunar years of keeping the remains in various hiding locations in Iran, it arrived in Akko on January 31, 1899. Ten years later, on Nowruz of 1909, Abdul Baha deposited the casket containing the remains of the Bab and his companion within the vault of the shrine he had built. Shoghi Effendi, forty years later, adorned the shrine built by Abdul Baha with a beautiful superstructure crowned with a golden dome. The memory of the sacrificial life of the Bab will be forever remembered and revered by all Baha'is throughout the world.